Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Providence, the first message in the Called series by Pastor Sean Wood. Let's pray, then we'll come around God's Word. Father, open the eyes of our hearts that we may see more of Jesus is our prayer this morning. Lord, that your Word would find good soil in our hearts and bring forth a harvest for your kingdom and for your glory is what we ask in your wonderful name. Amen. 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 Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you'd like to meet me at Genesis 37. We're going to start there and we're going to jump around a little bit. Uh, as we exit our series on the book of Exodus, we're going to enter into a new series, which is still kind of talking about the book of Exodus. Uh, throughout the book of Exodus, let's cover the story of Israel briefly. Uh, the story of Israel, they were, if you ask the Israelites in the wilderness, what are you guys doing here? If you met them while they were wandering through the wilderness, what are you guys doing here? They might say something like this. They might say, you know what, there was a time in our lives when we were in a foreign land and we were uh, enslaved and under darkness and under an oppressive regime, but God met us and found us and delivered us supernaturally, and we came out underneath the blood of the Lamb, and God rescued us. Isn't it interesting that God, uh, in the story of Israel, always intended and promised to bring them to the promised land? But they spend all this time in the wilderness, and... If we're honest with ourselves and we, if we asked every, if we asked a hundred people in the room to tell us their testimony, it would sound a lot like Israel's. There was a time in my life when I was under an oppressive regime and God found me and under the covering of the blood of the lamb, I came out. But all of us, we will find uh, that we kind of enter into a wilderness experience where God is preparing us for the promised land. Uh, notice something uh, as we're going over the story of Israel. Is this the first time we've seen this pattern with God? I've noticed something with God. God's the same yesterday, today and forever. His patterns, the outworking can look different, but the patterns look the same. Do you know there was a time prior to uh, Exodus when the people of God found themselves in Egypt and the bloodline and the, 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 the blessed bloodline was under threat and the then reigning pharaoh uh, dished out a heap of gold and escorted uh, the people of God to the border under the Egyptian army guard. That was when Abram and Sarai went to Egypt. And Abram was going to take Sarai for himself, so the bloodline was under threat. See, we see it looks different, but the pattern is the same. Today I want to introduce you as we begin a new series on called. Everyone in this room is called. You're not an accident. And if you are breathing oxygen today, I've got some good news for you. God has a a land that he has prepared for you as an individual. Yes, as a body of Christ, yes, he does. And and yes, there's a call to salvation that we all uh, experience, but there's a call in our lives and there's a land that God has prepared. Here's the saddest thing that Israel teaches us. Many of God's people perish in the wilderness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that what happened to Israel was written down for us as examples And a whole generation perished in the wilderness. Is it possible for you to love Jesus, be saved, and never reach the full potential of what God has for you? Absolutely. And I don't want that for anybody in this room. And so today, I want to talk about 
that middle ground. Uh, If you're wondering, uh, it's not my job to tell you what your calling is. It's God's job. But I want to help people in this room because most of us will find ourselves in a wilderness time. Uh, God's pattern is repeated throughout Scripture. It looks a little bit like this. It's what I call the three Ps. Starts with a promise, moves to the preparation, and it ends with perpetuation. Let's let's take an example of that that we're all familiar with in Pentecostal circles. There was a time in the first upper room, that's where Jesus had the discourse with his disciples. In the first upper room, Jesus promises them the Holy Spirit that he would not leave them as orphans, but that he would send the helper, the counsellor, to be with them. There's the promise. And we know that a few days after his resurrection, he appears to the believers. But then there's what, 40 days? There's the preparation. And then the scripture tells us suddenly, the Holy Spirit came. There's the perpetuation. And so... uh, uh, I want to tell you today, and we're going to unpack this as we work our way through the life of a guy by the name of Joseph, and, and through the series on called, we're going to look at, uh, at men and women of God that God used and went through the same things we do. And I want to tell you today that wherever you find yourself, you uncomfortable truth, you just may be right where God wants you. Let's open the scripture. Just before you fall asleep, let's open God's word. Uh, Genesis 37, verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his fathers, sojourning in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old. So we're introduced to a young guy by the name of Joseph, who at the age of 17 sticks out. Uh, if you read through, he's a bit of a dibber-dobber. Uh, he goes and, uh, this is uh, for my, uh, my boys in the room, this is not a good idea uh, how to be, uh, how to stand out. Uh, other thing is, uh, we're going to learn from Joseph, when God gives you a dream, shut your can hole. Don't go telling everybody uh, God's dreams, all right? But, uh, but Joseph was a bit of a goody two-shoes. He would go out and whenever the brothers were playing up, he'd come back and tell Jacob. And, and Jacob favoured Joseph, made him this wonderful coat. We know all the story that goes with that. But if we come down to verse 5 uh, of chapter 37, we're going to jump through the life of Joseph. But we see here that uh, now Joseph had a dream. The reason uh, I want to work through the lives of people in the Bible is there are Josephs in this room. There's Jonahs in this room. You wait till we get to Jonah. Jonah is still the man that God has used for the greatest revival in history. This planet has not seen a revival to the effect and to the extent since Jonah. Even the animals repented. So when the cat starts repenting, Liz... (laughs) I'm believing for it. I'm believing for it. I believe all things are possible with God. Now, Joseph had a dream, and there are people in this room that God has placed a dream in your heart. And I'm not talking about those things that happen after a bad night of pizza, Pastor Terry. For the men that were here last night, if you're thinking, hey, yeah, I had a dream last night, Pastor, that could be a bad piece of pepperoni. But... But Joseph had a dream, and in patriarchal times, this was common. Uh, God communicated by dreams. 
Yes, he did speak to people. Absolutely. Yes, God appeared to people. Yep, absolutely. But predominantly, God would speak through dreams. Uh, We're going to see that he speaks to non-believers through dreams. Uh, Joseph had a dream, but this dream was a little bit different. Uh, Joseph had a dream where he dreamed that him and his brothers uh, were all out uh, bringing in the sheaves, and all of his brothers' sheaves bowed down to his. And they immediately knew what that meant. They immediately knew that he was picturing himself above them, reigning over them, and that they would bow down to him. And that was offensive to them. But Oh, Joseph didn't put the pizza away. He got a little bit more elaborate and decided that God gave him another dream. This time he dreamed that the sun and the moon were bowing down to the stars. Now, for those that want to know a little bit about prophetic language, when you get to Joel and the book of Revelation, uh, you need to understand this passage. Because when Joseph says to Jacob, the sun and the moon will bow down to the stars, Jacob immediately knows that that's a reference to him and and Joseph's mum bowing down. And so Jacob rebukes him. Now, we've got hindsight, but Joseph doesn't. We know what that dream means. Joseph had no idea. He knew it looked like him reigning over his brothers. And they, but, but how the pieces get put together, Joseph has no idea. And many people here, are, sometimes our number one goal is to discern between our dreams and God's dreams. You see, God never places a dream on someone's heart where you're going to have this huge international ministry that's going to be broadcast into 40 countries all across the globe, that's, uh, that you're going to have bestsellers, uh, books and all those sorts of things. They're not God's dreams. They're usually our dreams. And can I help you this morning to begin to differentiate between that? Here's the question you have to ask. Are doors opening for me or am I kicking them open? If, if it's God's call on your life, you don't have to kick any doors open. Uh, I can remember, uh, this hits home a little bit, I can remember uh, some years ago, uh, my then pastor coming to me and saying, listen, uh, there's this really radical bunch of Pentecostals up in Brisbane uh, and they've got this awesome church, but they need a pastor. Would you ever think about... And do you know what I said to, I said to Andrew? I said, you know what, let's get on the path... And, you know, if it's of God, then the doors will just open and the green lights will come. If it's not, then the red lights will come. And I was fully expecting the red lights. So be careful what you wish for, right? I have found that when God is in it, doors just open. You don't have to push it. You don't have to make it. You don't have to create it. You don't have to worry about how it's all going to fall into place because if we look at the life of Joseph, we're soon going to realise nobody would have pictured God would have done it this way. Now, God knows right now, we need to be clear, God knows where Joseph will end up. God knows where he wants Joseph. Joseph has got no idea. Let's read on. Verse 12, uh, Jacob says to Joseph, you know what? Go and check out on those brothers of yours. They've been out tending the sheep. Let's read it. Now his brothers went to pasture their flocks near Shechem, or the father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, Jacob, 
said to Joseph, are not your brothers pastoring the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now and see if it is well with your brothers. And that's, that's exactly what Joseph does. He goes to Shechem and he can't find them. And he finds a guy wandering around. And he says, have you seen my brothers? Uh, and he says, yeah, they've gone to Dothan. Let's read. They have gone away, verse 17, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and he found them at Dothan. And most of us that know the story of Joseph, we know what happens next, right? Most of us know that his brothers conspire against him and they decide that they actually want to kill him. And uh, Reuben, I know you're here, uh, Reuben stands up for his brothers. Just, just dropping that one in there. Reuben stands up for his brother uh, and uh, doesn't put him in the pit. He stands up for his brother. Just thought I'd point that one out. Reuben intercedes. If it wasn't for Reuben, they would have killed him. But you know, when God's got a call on your life, it doesn't matter who conspires against you, nobody can come against you. Verse 21, but when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life and let us not shed blood. So they put him in a pit. And Dothan is a really interesting place. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but when it comes to learning about the purposes of God and, and how he works in our lives, Dothan's a really interesting place. Because if we fast forward to 2 Kings chapter 6, we find ourselves in Dothan again. And we find a very similar situation because right now, if you read chapter 42, verse 21, the brothers recall this moment and the brothers are saying, did we not ignore him when he was crying out for mercy? So here we have a young Hebrew boy at the bottom of the pit crying out to be rescued. But if we fast forward to 2 Kings chapter 6, we're introduced to a little guy by the name of Elisha and Gehazi. And uh, Elisha has been telling Israel all of Syria's war plans and Syria find out. So Gehazi gets up in the morning, he walks outside and there's a whole Syrian army surrounding that little place. Dothan's a little next to nothing place, but God always reveals sometimes his biggest uh, attributes in, in the smallest places. But, but Gehazi walks out, he walks back into Elisha and says, dude, you're going to have to put your wheat picks down and come and have a look at this. <laughs> and, and Elisha walks out and says, open his eyes, Lord. That's the first thing. And immediately Gehazi sees another army far more powerful and far more superior than the Syrian army. And here we have a man of God, Elisha, crying out to God. And in this moment, God will move immediately and he strikes the Syrian army immediately with blindness and victory is immediately obtained. Elisha cries out for rescue. God rescues him immediately a little Hebrew boy at the bottom of the pit at Dothan is crying out for rescue and salvation and God will rescue him. But how much time does it take? God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. What are we learning at Dothan? God still answered both of those prayers. God answered that little Hebrew boy and God answered Elisha, but in two dramatically different ways. 
And as we, as this story unfolds, here's the inconvenient truth that Joseph brings home to every one of our lives. The inconvenient truth is we're going to, we're going to find uh, Joseph at the bottom of a pit. We're going to find him in Egypt. We're going to find him in prison and we're going to find him every one of those times. We're going to find him right where God wants him. Move on to another series, Pastor. I'm done with this one. Find something else to preach on, Pastor. But the reality is, how many of us can say, you know what? I'm beginning to understand Joseph a little bit. Now we're introduced to a a, a phrase that just so happened. Uh, It just so happens (laughs) that when Joseph's brothers would have killed him. They'd, they'd crossed the line, remember that. They can't go back with Joseph. Now, what's Joseph going to say to Jacob? Hey, these guys were going to neck me out there, like, you know. So they've crossed the line. It just so happened that when they were debating what they were going to do with Joseph, a army of Ishmaelite traders come past. And they sell Joseph for the price of a slave. For those that are here tonight, we're going to look at another instance when a mighty man of God, the God-man, was sold for 30 pieces of silver. But it just so happened that a band of Ishmaelite traders, his rescue from that pit, finds him sold into slavery in Egypt. Sometimes God's grace in our life can seem confusing. Sometimes we only see God's grace when we look back. I guarantee you by the time we finish, Joseph will look back at his life and he will see God's hand in every one of these instances. Sometimes we don't see it. I I, I remember uh, there was an author and a preacher in America and he released a book. Not a bad guy. A guy by the name of John Bevere. Anybody ever heard of John Bevere? Yeah, of course. Yeah, wonderful. Awesome. Great ministry. Uh, appreciate all of his work. He wrote a book. Uh, it doesn't matter which book it was, but he wrote a book and uh, there was a guy in prison. Anybody ever heard the name of Jim Baker? No. Jim Baker uh, extorted hundreds of thousands of dollars from the people of God. And he was, uh, he was dramatically exposed and sentenced to 45 years in a federal prison. And he, he rings John Bevere and says... Can you, did you write this book first of all? Yep. You need to come and see me. So, so John Bevere goes and, and, and they start talking, just chit-chat, and John says, hey, listen, let's get the elephant in the room out of the way. Hey, you're in jail. And he says, listen, this prison cell, this is Jim Baker's testimony, he said, this prison cell is God's grace on my life. He says, I was a master manipulator. He said, I extorted hundreds of thousands of dollars illegally he said, and if God had not exposed me and put me in prison, he says, I would have sailed down an eight-lane highway to destruction and I would have found myself in eternity separated from Christ. He says, I am here by God's grace. There's going to come a point in Joseph's life where he's going to say, I was at the bottom of that pit by God's grace. Otherwise, I'd be dead. As we work our way through Joseph's story, there's Joseph's in this room. There's people in this room that say, hey, (laughs) 
I know of the pit. I've been in a place when only God's grace could have pulled me out of it. Let's see what happens to Jacob, uh, Joseph, excuse me. Chapter 39, verse 1. Uh, now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Okay, where's Joseph? Joseph's been rescued from the pit. Uh, it looks like he's gone from the fat to the fire. Uh, he's been rescued from the pit. He's sold into slavery. He's in Egypt. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes for just two minutes. Uh, here is uh, a 17-year-old boy that is basically saying, I'm never going to see my family again. I'm locked in slavery for the rest of my life. How many people could be in Joseph's shoes going, whatever happened to that dream, God? Whatever happened to that call you placed on my life? Uh, what's going on here? I didn't see any Egypt in that call. Have a listen to this next verse, verse 2, and the Lord was with Joseph. What? Everything on the outside counteracts that verse. How, how many people, even if, how many of us, if we were Joseph, would be sitting here going, the Lord is with me? What, I, I'm in a pit? I'm in Egypt? Joseph doesn't have a headstone, but if he did, they would have wrote the words, the Lord is with him on his headstone. The Lord was with him, and listen to this, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Wow. Here we see a guy in Egypt, and as we're working through this series of calls, I hope and my prayer is that everybody that hears and works his way through this series will understand one thing, the power of one godly life. Uh, Joseph is in Egypt. These guys in Egypt, we'll touch on this in a moment, but, but everybody in Egypt threw the moral compass out the window a long time ago. These guys gave up on morality a long time ago. These guys were worshipping many gods and justifying their lifestyle. They were evil, wicked people. He finds himself there and he's standing out. Friends, can I give you probably the biggest hint? when it comes to the wilderness and the preparation. Uh, number one step is this. Determine and make a choice. I am going to serve and honour God no matter where I am. I'm not going to wait for God to bring me here. I'm not going to wait for God to do... I'm not going to wait for God to put a million dollars in my bank before I start honouring him with my finances. I'm not going to do any... No, I'm going to honour God today. Can I tell you, there was a time in my life when I had given up on church. I had a bad experience in church. I'd given up on church. And, and, and myself and my wife had determined that we are going back to church. The one that my wife chose, I didn't want to go to. I went there because the kids liked it. And I sat in the back row for five years and I said to God, I never want to get involved again. Don't ever say that to God. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. <laughs> But there was a day when I said, see, I, I, thought I, I thought it was over for me. I thought I'd wasted too much time. 
uh, Joseph probably thinks it's over too. He's, he's remembering the dream going, God's, God's given up on that. That's, that's gone. There was a time when I thought, I've wasted too much time. I, I spent too much time chasing guys around in, in forestry coops and stuff. And what I began to realise, particularly when I got here, was God redeems everything. Uh, what I actually, looking back at my life now, uh, everything that happened in the forestry, God taught me many lessons. Lesson number one, never let the guys drive the ute, but... <laughs> but everything's redeemable. We haven't lost anything. If you're breathing oxygen, the calling of God is irrevocable. <coughs> Have a listen to this. This is my prayer for us here as individuals as well. Verse 5, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Because of Joseph, because Joseph was in Potiphar's house, God blessed Potiphar and blessed his house and blessed his crops and blessed everything. And Potiphar's like, you know what? The only difference in my house is this Hebrew slave. And I hope there's a time, and I pray increasingly, that this community will say, you know what, there's a blessing on this place because the rock's here. Yes. Amen. And because of Joseph, Potiphar had no concern. Uh, moving forward, uh, God has a way of whittling away at our heart, but... Can I tell you, if you want to measure your love for Christ, if you want to measure the capacity of your religion, uh, we're going to have a look at how this worked out for Joseph. But if uh, the, the only way to really do that is to ask yourself the question, how much do I love Christ when nobody else is looking? How, much, how determined am I and committed am I to honour God when nobody else will ever know? Let's ask Joseph. Now, Joseph was handsome in form, must have been Tasmanian. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Now, this sounds offensive, but this wasn't offensive in Egyptian culture. May have been for a slave, but these guys, threw, like I said, they threw morality out the window a long time ago. This was not unheard of in Egypt. This was not a problem for these guys. And so uh, we know what happens. Joseph refuses, but I love Joseph's answer. And can I say, uh, before we even get to next week, we need more men and women like Joseph. Have a listen to what Joseph says. How then can I do this great wickedness? And sin against God. You know, uh, if you'd have been in Egypt in Joseph's time, if you'd have gone to them and said the word wickedness, evil or sin, they would have gone, care. They had no idea what sin was. But thanks be to God, we need Josephs that will stand up in this culture and tell them this is sin. that have a reverence and a fear of God and say, this is sin. We live in a culture today, just like the Egyptian culture, that wants to rename everything. Today, pride, is, it's not pride, it's self-esteem. Today, temper, temper's not temper and anger, it's self-expression. Today, adultery, no, it's not adultery, it's, it's God wanting me to be happy. Today, we've changed the name of perversion for... Wait for it, alternative lifestyles. We need more men and women of God that will stand up and go, no, 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 you can call it whatever you want. God calls it sin. 
and his fear and reverence of God. This is a man who has sanctified God in his heart. It's holy. Uh, what does that mean? The word sanctify means to set apart. Holy means uncommon, means special. Uh, your your holy crockery is the kind of china you bring out when I come over for tea. <laughs> it's the finest stuff that you have. It's the it's the old King James version, Brother Roger. <laughs> <laughs> But what it means in your life, and can I tell you that you don't leave the wilderness until you get this part right. What it means in your life is you move God from the commonplace to the very special. When that happens, you'll find yourself in the promised land. Why did a whole generation die in the wilderness? Because they went ran and 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 ran the mountain. They still didn't get it right. Paul put it like this when he wrote to the Colossians. And you can read the statement at the back wall. It was, make Christ preeminent, which means that he is above everything. When that happens inside here, hey, on a Sunday, we, we, we can come in here, recite, we can put our spiritual makeup on, we can say all the right things, we can look all holy and spiritual, but who are you on Monday morning at 5 a.m.? Most people say, sound asleep, Pastor. (laughs) Your integrity and your love for God is who you are when nobody else is looking. If you want to say, well, how do I know when God's sanctified in my heart? How do do I know when I've moved him from the commonplace to the very special? You'll wake up Monday morning and go, I can't do that. And offend my God. Uh, what does the fear of the Lord look like? I, I've kind of said this a few times. Imagine imagine you're in a building on the 16th floor and, and imagine I, I, I pick up an old earthenware pot with a cat picture on it and, and, and I want you to take it down to the bottom level. What I'm probably going to do is pick it up and chuck it to you and say, can you just run that down? The, and, and you know, when I give it to you, you're just going to run down the stairs, no care, no thought, who cares, right? If I break it, praise God, but otherwise you're going to rock it down to the bottom. But if I pick up a vase now, and I tell you that this vase has descended from some rare Ming dynasty in China and it's absolutely priceless. What are you going to You're going to hold the vase like this. Why? Not because you're afraid of what the vase will do to you, but you're afraid of what you will do. So you handle the vase differently. When God moves to that special place in your heart, you begin to treat him differently. But of course, things go from, and this is often the case, when you take a stand against sin, can I tell you, you're likely to go from bad to worse in the culture that we live in. And so things go from bad to worse. He's falsely accused and he finds himself in prison. And I have a question as we go through Joseph's time in prison. Is Joseph imprisoned or positioned? Or both? He's imprisoned. Have a listen to this. He's put in prison. Uh, and chapter 40, verse 1, sometime after this. Oh, how we try to rush God's timing. 
sometime after this. Let's move quickly. Sometime after this, the butcher baker and the candlestick maker? No, the cupbearer and the chief baker. Just so happens that Joseph is in prison at the right time. It just so happens that uh, Joseph was elevated to be in a position of authority in the prison, that he had, he had one favour with the captain of the guard, and that meant that when these guys were in prison, that, uh, that he was able to interpret their dreams. It just so happens that the God of all glory would place a dream in each of the cupbearer and the baker that only Joseph, by God's help, could interpret. It just so happens. You ever look back on your life going, it just so happened and it just so happened and it just so happened. It just so happens that God is working by his mighty powerful hand in your life. No accidents, no coincidence. If you can find the word coincidence in this Bible, come and show me. It's not there. The only, the only reference to by chance is in the parable of the Good Samaritan. By chance, a Samaritan happened to be going along that way. There's no coincidences in your life. Your past employment history, whatever it looks like, no coincidence. It's no coincidence that you're in church today. John Piper says, beautifully, God is doing, at any one time, God is doing 10,000 things in our lives of which, if we are lucky, we may be aware of three. Joseph finds himself in prison. He interprets their dreams. Just happens to be in the right place at the right time. Then we read in chapter 41, after two years, God, what are you doing? After two years, God moves again and Pharaoh has a dream. And we're going to cut a long story short, but Pharaoh has a dream about cows and how there's seven fat cows and seven lean cows and and he goes to all of the sources that he can and nobody can interpret his dream until he reaches Joseph. And Joseph says, well, the interpretation lies with God. And and so uh, he says to Pharaoh, he says, there'll be seven full years And seven years of famine. So God says, store up now in the good years so that you've got plenty in the famine. What Pharaoh doesn't realise, what Joseph doesn't realise, what everybody else didn't realise was that that famine was always coming. And had Joseph not been in Egypt at this point in time, he would not have been able to ascend to the position of power that he did. And if he hadn't ascended to the position of power that he did, there wouldn't have been any grain, there would have been a famine, and the whole of Israel would have been wiped out by starvation. Joseph will never go back to his family. They will come to him. There is a reuniting, absolutely. But Joseph will never go back to his family. Have a listen to the rise of Joseph. Joseph says in, in chapter 41, verse 37, he says, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? The power of one godly life. 
Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand. He puts it on Joseph's hand and clothes him in garments of fine linen. And for those that have read through, you'll notice that verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service. When did we meet Joseph? At 17. 13 years. But you know, that 17-year-old boy was never ready to be elevated in Egypt. God had to prepare him. We like to, as God's people, we always like to go round or go over or go under. You know that, you know, I can't go over it, I can't go under it. We always try to go round God's preparation. Just, just get me to the promised land, God. Just get me into the calling that you have and let's bypass the preparation. But Joseph was never ready. The reality is, if you don't sort out the heart, when you get to the promised land, you'll forget God. And if you come to the end of the story, maybe, maybe some of us here have a similar story. And, and, and for those that know the story of Joseph, uh, his brothers come desperately seeking food uh, throughout the famine and, and he exposes himself and, and eventually him and his father, they all come and they settle in the land of Goshen. And in chapter 40, 45, we, Joseph, talking to his brothers, looks back and says... You did not send me here. God sent me here. Chapter 50, Jacob's dead. The brothers are a little bit worried. The brothers are thinking, you know what, Jacob's dead, so he might take retribution on us now that dad's dead. So here, these are some famous words. There's people in this room that need to hear these words today. Verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back. Forgiveness looks like you release the payback for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Verse 18 of chapter 50, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. Joseph is looking back over his life, sitting in all of his prosperity in Egypt. Joseph is looking back at that pit. Joseph is looking back at that prison cell. Joseph is looking back at Potiphar's house. Joseph is looking back at those 13 years and saying, all along the line, you guys meant evil, but God meant it for good. If I asked 100 people in this room to give their testimony, you would testify of of times of great triumph in your life, but times of great challenge and times of great hurt. But I'm convinced that we would all turn around and look back and say, you know what, everything that people meant for evil against me, God has turned it for good. I, I pray 
that you don't give up on the dream that God placed on your heart. We think this is a, just an Old Testament. We're going to move into the New Testament later on in this series, but there was a time in the life of Christ. Jesus went to the pit for us. Jesus knew what it was to suffer. Jesus came to a foreign land just like Joseph. But Jesus also, after he was baptised and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus, the very next thing we read is the Spirit led him up into the wilderness. And if we look at all the horrible things that happened to Jesus, if we think about all the horrible remarks they made as they were taunting him, as they were putting the crown of thorns on his head, if, if we were to imagine uh, all the terrible things that they were wanting to do to Jesus, how they scourged him, how, how they made him carry his cross, and the passion of the Christ was very nice to us, how they made him carry his cross naked up that hill. Criminals carried their cross naked, shamefully, up that hill. We might say... All of these men meant it for evil, and they did, but God meant it for our good. Let's pray together as we... And ask Karen if she can come and just softly play, just as we close. I don't want to leave here today. Maybe God has spoken to your heart today. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like my grandfather-in-law so many years ago that said, you know what, there's something bigger than me and I want to say yes to Jesus. Don't leave here today without taking that opportunity. Maybe... Maybe as we sit here this morning, you're saying, you know what? I've gotten lost in the wilderness. And I want to get back on track. If that's you here today. Maybe you want prayer. Maybe you just need the Holy Spirit to touch you right where you're at. Maybe you just silently in yourself need to say, God, I'm tired of going around that mountain. I want to honour you right where I am. I want to serve you right where I am. Father, I pray for every person in this room this morning that we will move you to that very special place in our heart. Sanctify yourself as holy in our hearts, O God, I pray. I need you, Lord, to, to whittle away the things of this world. Father, we are digging wells in the wilderness when you can make water come from the rock. And I pray today, Father, the water would pour forth for thirsty hearts today. I pray that the flames that have grown dim, that you would reignite them, oh God, I pray. Breathe upon the coals of our hearts, Holy Spirit. Father, I believe in the power of one godly life and I believe in the power and the influence of one godly church. A people that say we're going to stand for the truth of God and we're going to honour you. Use us, I pray, to be a blessing. 
your wonderful name. If you, if you would like prayer this morning, then we're here to pray with you. If for the next few moments you just want to quietly do business with God in your seat, then I encourage you to do that if you're Please don't run away. We have coffee after the service later on. But just for the moment, let us just be still in his presence. people said amen and amen thanks for listening to the rock christian church podcast to be notified when the next episode is available subscribe on our website at therock.org.au you can also connect with us on facebook at the rock christian church we hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode